It's Tumble Vision episode 45. Five. Five. Which I get wrong every week. Thank you, Kevin Marks. I'm your host, <laughs> Heather Gold. With other host, Kevin Marks. And usually, Deb Schultz been standing in for Deb Schultz so beautifully this week will be Sarah Dopp. Welcome, Sarah Dopp. Thank you. Tumble Vision is leading. And the only business show on the web with an explicit rating, which we're very proud of. <laughs> <laughs> and Tumble Vision is a show that focuses on the art of social engagement in business tech and culture. Tumbling is an old Yiddish term that refers to someone who catalyzes other people to action. Tumblers were hired to entertain at weddings, not only to be entertaining themselves, but to get people dancing, to get other people involved in the in the experience and as part of the entertainment. So... It's a, it's a great term for what we believe is a sort of major shift in the network world we live in, which is to not really operate in a top-down model, but to really, this is a way to, to make engagement, conversation, some kind of project work on an ongoing way. Tumblers are really the people that make communities and real conversation actually happen, which is, these are all buzzwords that people throw around, but these are, this is sort of, uh, we try to get into the nitty gritty of how it actually works when it works as opposed to um, dreams people have of of everyone following them and loving them for no reason at all, which is seems to be the uh, the kind of marketing spin on the era. So this has been a very big week for the net and a big week for um, Tumbling. And it's a big week for us because we have a fantastic guest. I'm very excited to say. Uh, Willow Witty is here from Join the Impact. Welcome, Willow. Hi. Willow, you are in an exurb of D.C., am I right? Uh, yes, yes. And Join the Impact, if you're not aware. So Join the Impact really helped make a huge change in uh, queer activism, but not only queer activism, but in online political organizing. After Proposition 8 passed in California, there was sort of massive outrage. Proposition 8 was a general vote, kind of referendum by all the people who wanted to vote during the the Barack Obama election to see whether or not they wanted to try to overturn uh, the right to marry, which included me. I'd been married in that time, people who wanted to marry someone of the same sex. And, and, or did. Anyway, this thing passed. It's now being contested in court, but there was a massive amount of sort of new groups and activism that sprang up around this uh, and sprang up a little bit before the vote, but especially after the vote, because the organizers of this particular campaign who were trying to support gay marriage uh, pretty much ignored the Internet. And I think this is a really interesting conversation to get into, not just because it affects me personally. And today we've had Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal pretty much abandoned by the uh, by the Senate. It looks like it's not going to it's not going to happen. But because this is, I think, an issue that is going to really matter for nonprofits, for political organizing in general. And I think Willow knows as much about this as anybody at this point. Um, what was really, to me, so exciting about the work Join the Impact did, Join the Impact, I'll let you tell us in your own words kind of what it, the impact was, immediate impact was of what you did. But you kind of stepped in, and all of those massive demonstrations that happened around the country, they're the reason they happened. They were not a well-known group. It was a couple of people who understood the internet, unlike massive nonprofits and <laughs> and and lobbying groups like HRC, who sell those little yellow uh, stickers with an equal sign on them. You might see them bumper stickers, bumper stickers, bump, car bumpers around the United States. 
Um, sorry, I'm about to move to Canada where they don't bumper stickers don't really happen. That's one they of don't? the big cultural yeah. differences between the nations. Yes, Canada is is anti bumper sticker. Wow. <laughs> do they do vanity yeah. license plates? Not so much. Huh. It's a very different kind of place. I know. <laughs> what did their they- grunge people do in the nineties? Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> well, I think that grunge look is sort of an eternal Canadian look. <laughs> do they do they still paint their cars different colors? You get a lot less quirk. Yeah. In a in a big public way there, generally. We'll see, I haven't lived there in a long time, so I'll find out. So anyway, I think I think this is a massive thing that's going to change in politics and organizing in general nonprofits. We've had, you know, what you want, might want to call napsterization, hit the music business, the news business. Uh, clearly, the news business with WikiLeaks this week, which we'll get into, is, ha- is, is getting a big time. Government is involved with that, so it's starting to end up there. But nonprofits is sort of, and, and, and lobbyists have sort of, I think, convinced themselves that no one else knows how to do what they do. And... Um, Hopefully we'll we'll get into that some. So welcome, Willow. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Um, so do you want me to just sort of tell kind of a brief version of the story or how? Yeah, why don't you tell us like real quickly what it is that um, the impact was of what Join the, of Join the Impact did and what you did. And then we'll go a little bit into the issues of this week because we'd like to hit those first in the show, yeah. which we have some gender specific stuff we want to get into. That'll be relevant. And then we'll then we'll spend a lot more time on what happened, what we think, what you learned from the past, and what we think we could do to really have tumbling work better in LGBT activism and probably activism political work in general. Sure. Okay. So, um, so like right after Prop Eight, as Prop Eight was passing, like like that evening during the election, while it's all going on, I'm a big Twitterer. So I was all over Twitter, just watching election things in general. Um, And uh, saw Prop 8, like, passing on the interwebs um, and, like, people kind of wanting to hit the streets and all of the energy around it and all of the heartbreak. Um, And I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, where, like, those there nobody's going to be hitting the streets in Cleveland, Ohio. Those things just don't happen. Um You've taken us to Ohio where you think no one's going in the streets, you see this thing happening and you yes. say to yourself, Self <laughs> Self, <laughs> damn it, people should be in the streets. What the F. Yeah, that was kind of uh You can uh, swear because we're online if you want. We're rated well, explicit. I think I said hell a minute ago. So yeah, you don't have to. I'm just letting you know you can cuss if you choose. So um, anyway, so over the next couple days, there were protests throughout California, and I was seeing people through Twitter getting arrested at these protests, and you know there was potential police brutality being thrown out there, and and just lots of things that were really, really like angering me that I wasn't there being part of it. So I decided that it was time that like Willow did something. And, uh, and I knew that if I was feeling the way that I was feeling that other people had to be also like that, I couldn't be the only person in this nation that was like heartbroken, you know, and like just sort of watching California and wishing that I could be there. Um, and Twitter let me know that that wasn't the case, that, that, we were sort of all in this place and there was a lot of anger and pain. So, um, so anyway, so 
I sent out an email to a bunch of my friends saying like, hey, you know, I want to I want to have a rally or a vigil or something here in Cleveland. And, you know, they were all over the country and like, maybe you all want to do that in your city too. And uh, there are ways that we can support each other in this. Um, And one of my good friends, Amy Balliott, who I went to college with um, and happens to be a search engine optimizer, (laughs) um, responded and said, yeah, you know, we, we should do this. Um, and so we sort of talked over the idea and chose a date, which was less than a week away. This was actually, it was just over a week away. This was a, the Friday after the election. And so we chose November 15th and sort of said like, hey, let's just put up a website and put out a call and maybe some other cities will join in and, and maybe they won't and that's okay, but we're going to do what we need to do. Um, and, you know, I got on Twitter and promoted it like crazy and Amy used her brilliance with SEO and uh, it it really quickly kind of got picked up by some other, by some news outlets. Um, But the website that we started that was calling for a protest for people to join together all at the same time um, in, in whatever time zone they were in to join together and like be in solidarity with what was happening in California and we watched as that idea is like people coming together all at once um, went viral. And like there were, we were expecting like maybe 10 cities to participate in this, like some major cities like Chicago, New York, hopefully, you know, and we really quickly started getting, (laughs) started realizing that it was going to be way bigger than that. And then uh, Perez Hilton tweeted about it. And that like sent our our website hits um, to 50,000 hits an hour. And it was kind of crazy. Our our website crashed like three times on the Sunday after we launched, which was on a Friday. Um, He's like the, uh, he's a, he's like a new version of a slash dot effect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Perez Hilton. So, um, the week after that, people all over the country that had never organized anything, that had never planned a rally before, that had no idea what it meant to get a permit for a protest meant, that had no idea what um, having, you know, any kind of safety for that event um, set up would mean, were all like, I don't care. I have to do something. Can I just ask a question here? And and, and anybody who's with us in the chat room, and I know everyone isn't always like to get in the chat room. So if you're listening to us and you're not part of Cover It Live, you can tweet me at Heather, H-E-A-T-H-R. But why do you think, given how much outrage there was, none of the major organizers of Prop 8, whether it be Equality California, which is the major lobby group in, in California, or HRC, the National Gay Lobby, which has the most money in terms of donations, Mm-hmm. And uh, they're the people who meet with Obama and get him to come speak and all that sort of thing. Why did nobody else organize marches? Why do you think? You mean, why did they not organize marches on their own? Or why did they not jump in and support people that were organizing them with us? Or uh, um, First of all, on their own. It just seems so odd. Yeah. Yeah. And I, at the same, like, I thought the same thing. Like, when I was organizing this, I was like, why, why is nobody else doing this? And I later like realized that there's just sort of a 
because they are big bureaucracies, they, they're just, they're not capable of pulling the plug and organizing an action on the fly. It's just really not something that they're set up to do. Um, but also like really when you look at what, at what the national organizations organize, they're not people that are out there organizing major like public events that are reactionary protests or rallies. Like those things happen, but they're generally more to like get support for candidates. And you know what I mean? It's not like, it's not. And do you think this is a general, this is a general, Hey, safe schools. I don't know if this is glisten, but that someone likes glisten. Maybe Safe schools is Shannon cuddle. Hi, Shannon. Thanks for joining us. Um, do you think this is true of nonprofits and lobby groups in general? Because there are many national lobby groups. We have Sierra Club. We have yeah. now we have, you know, CPAC and conservative sides. We have lots and lots of these kinds of groups. This is how politics works in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. And are none of them able to spontaneously do stuff? I mean, to some degree, supposedly, the Tea Party is a response to the same problem. Right. Right. Well, I, I think for the large part that in this country that that this kind of activism has been something that people have tabled, um, that they don't see its effectiveness, that they don't see the power that it does. And clearly I see that. <laughs> um, but even even after what we did, even after November 15th, with all of those people in the streets, there's still... So many people that don't think that having a rally or a protest is an effective form of activism. And if their funders don't think it's effective, they're not going to do it. They don't, so they don't think generally protests ever do anything. Uh, it, the number of times that I have heard that is staggering. And why do they think it's not effective? Um... <laughs> I mean, they, they think that it's it's just a bunch of people getting angry and going into the streets and protesting and then not doing anything else. They they don't seem to think that it can be a tool. Like, I think that, that the rallies and protests are something that can be used as a tool to, to get your base together all in one place and to get them psyched up and to sign them up for volunteers. And, like, if you organize a rally and you get all those people together and you don't recruit them into your organization, then you're not doing it right. And it can be a big, big way to get money and publicity and all of those things that all these organizations need. But it's not just a matter of holding that event. You have to take it forward to the next step afterwards. Well, let's take a make a little break here around taking it to the next steps, which will definitely include some tumbling, and hit uh, go to the sort of issues of the week, which happen to connect to um, sort of networked protesting in different ways. There are a couple things we want to discuss, uh, and and we're especially glad to have Sarah Dopp here for them. One is um, an announcement that Diaspora, which is the sort of gra- attempt of a grassroots open source uh, social network that would be an alternative to Facebook. Um, that raised over $100,000 on Kickstarter, uh, that they announced this week. Um, maybe, Kevin, you, since you responded to the uh, the blog post, you can describe what happened. 
Well, what, what happened was that um, the uh, committed to diaspora announced that she changed the I said she whoops the gender field to be a type in rather than um, a, a pop up, um, and then there was a huge sort of. Can you just explain what that means for people who aren't used to web filling out web forms? So when you when you create an account there, um, it normally asks you for your name and a bunch of information about you, and one of the fields is gender. And the the normal thing that is done, or the normative thing, I suppose, is to have a little pop up that says male or female. Um, and um, Sarah May changed this so that it would be type in what you like, and this was picked up by somebody who was writing a diaspora news site. Um, and said, well, well, clearly this... Kevin, did we lose you? <laughs> Kevin, I think you're, um, you're breaking up, but I can, I can fill in. Um, fill what in. happened was... Sarah Dopp, fill in, please. I'm Sarah Dopp, and Sarah May is another developer on the, or is a developer on the Diaspora Project, and she changed the, the, the text field to, the gender field to a text field where you can just write whatever you want. And somebody who has been contributing to the project and following it had also been very critical of the project in general. Like a lot of the the code quality was getting quite a bit of criticism. And um, this was the straw that broke the camel's back for that person. He just, he was running a news site about diaspora and he shut it down and he's like, this is ridiculous. You can't ask for gender in a text field. Nobody does this. Clearly these guys don't know what they're doing. Um, And, and it, and it launched into this big Twitter explosion of everybody talking about it and people either being really uppity about the fact that gender is two options and should always be two options and why would you have anything else and people being really excited about the fact that it was opening up and, and being more expressive and, and respecting more, more identities. And I think at the heart of some of this, probably I think we, we think it's such an interesting topic to discuss here, is it kind of gets at the heart of the a tech platform and building on something in a binary way, assuming that code has to work that way. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, are you working from that constraint first or how are we going to make, you know, humanist things that are in fluid and complex and contextual work in a, yeah. in a world where we're basing things, uh, you know, and code. Kevin, are you back with us? I'm back. <laughs> with, had- with gender, what it really comes down to is why are you asking for it? Um, sometimes people are, are really taking census-style data and want to know the the sex, and, and it needs to fall in two categories, and if people don't fit those, then they don't want to hear about it. Um, sometimes it's about self-expression. Like on Facebook, people are just telling people who they are and how they are, and they want to be able to do that in a way that, that represents them well. Sometimes it's about dating, and you want to be able to match yourself up to the categories that people are looking for. But most of the time, it's about marketing. It's about what ads can I show you that you will respond to. And personally, I've changed my gender from female to male on Pandora because I hate the ads that they give women but the men's ads are much cooler <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think I think gender in general hasn't been handled very well in technology and people are starting to but it was always such an assumption that you know there's only two options and we can make all these um, draw all these conclusions from those options and now people are starting to, to, to deconstruct it a little bit and ask why are we asking for it, what are we going to do with the data, how important is it to ask it um, and a good thing to compare it to is race I was just going to gonna say that yeah, to, to not be too... To our nationality, be- Kevin and I in our pre-show have decided <laughs> that we should now have something called Nation Fork as a follow-on to your gender fork because we are from multiple countries and kind of fluid about them. I'm about to move my base to Toronto and I'll still be in the U.S. a lot. So 
I mean, there are people who live in, I just think it's to generalize it. I'd like to go specifically into gender, but it's, I think a really generalizable issue around humanness and the web and developing for connection, because there's so many things that aren't super clearly in one box or another in terms of a human experience. But then when you're going to, I mean, you're a coder, when you're going to build something that is, that's what a lot of people in this blog post were saying, right? You have to, you, that's how software works. That's the medium. Do, do you, I mean, do you feel that that's, I mean, obviously that's not how you feel about gender, but do you feel like coding pushes you in that direction? I, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I confronted a dating site called Engage.com that was kind of pretending to be bisexual friendly, but really wasn't. And when I asked them why they wouldn't let me mark myself as bisexual, they said it would mess up their databases. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can... <laughs> mm-hmm. We we can build what we want to build. It's such a perfect analogy for. for humans, isn't it? I just can't process this thing you're telling me. Yeah, right, exactly. But, but it's it's um it's also I've made this model of the world and it doesn't the world doesn't fit into my boxes. The world must be wrong. That, that's the sort of the, the programmer's reaction. Mm-hmm. And it's it's, it's a bit, not every it's a, programmer. To be fair, let's be fair. No, no, no but but it's. You know, Okay, I'm a programmer. I'm a programmer. I take a twelve-step program, um, but it's, um, but it's you know it's, it's it's not just programmers. It's true. It's a natural thing. If you, when your when your assumptions are questioned, um, your first reaction is is, is panic and, and denial. Yeah, there's a great quote from Anil Dash that day um, referring to the situation. He said, every time software accommodates the real complexity of human identity and expression, some programmers call it inconvenient. Yeah, I I took a comment. I thought yours was really great, um, Kevin. And the one I took for when I eventually, I promised myself I'd write a post about this. Which, by the way, this is this is the most attention Diaspora has gotten since it launched since put out there. (laughs) Um, with somebody named Coco posted to the thread said you was responding to this critical blog post of the gender te- as a text box and said you're thinking in software she's thinking in people mm-hmm. I thought that was a very concise and interesting way to think about so how does software have to not think in people I mean that that seems to me like what part of what Kevin why we have the show we seem to want to find a way to make these things not be opposite to one another right Kevin what do you think would be better than a text box well, um, you know, a text box can work. That's the other thing is that Metafilter has used a text box for 10 years. And, in, 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 you know, in the wake of this controversy, someone there went through and histogrammed all the different um, values they'd put in there. Um, and that was, that was fascinating and, and, you know, very clear existence proof that that does work. Um, and they looked it through and said, well, you know, if we wanted to break this into male and female, we could, we could do that fairly well given the, the set of things we've got. We've got a lot of male, a lot of female, a lot of M, a lot of F, a lot of things that have male or female or something like that within them that we could we could pull out with a little you know a little bit of code a little bit of data coding um but actually having a free text field was good for us what um the same the same week um there's a proposal going through um to do the next version of the vcard standard which is the you know those little dot vcf files that microsoft puts in your email that you click on and they go in your address book um that's that's vcard and then he's updating because it hasn't really been touched for um, 10 years or so. And there was a big debate in that about whether we should have a sex field or a gender field. Um, and, and Sarah and I contributed to that. Um, and they 
accepted that changing it from sex to gender would be a sensible thing and allowing free text values would be useful too. Um, after and there's, some debate. After, after some debate and an initial <laughs> bit of, what, what would you want anything like that for? And the you know, same as we've seen before. Um, but, you know, if you actually look at the, the other standards that, that, that try to represent this from open social to faux to portable contacts, all of them have said it's a, it's a text string, but here are some values you might want to use um, if you want to represent classical male and female. All right. So this is, I mean, will some of the, does this kind of thing show up for you in your human connecting of people, not necessarily in terms of code, but just trying to say we have a need to organize, but we also have a need for people to feel, you know, recognized in their complexity and how can we effectively make stuff happen well, I mean, this is a big identity politics issue right, right. in the left and in queer stuff because everyone can be so sensitive that you didn't think of every last little thing. I was forgotten. Let's spend eight hours processing my feelings. And meanwhile, we don't get any like work done, other work done. And then, you know, did we right. pass a bill? Did we change whatever the other goal was? Or did we forget about anybody when we were fighting for that bill and when it passed? Mm-hmm. Uh, or purposefully leave them How out? do you yeah. balance these things? How do you balance, like, get stuff done, make it effective, and fluidity enough to be inclusive well i mean i i think it's it's up to the individual person and activist to like really purposefully think about how inclusive they're being and like we use this term radical inclusivity to like because you know the word diversity is thrown out there all the time but people already have a definition of what that means in their head they already think about like Like, I already have in my head what diversity means. And diversity means something different to me than it means to other people. Like, other people might think based on, you know, oppressions. And and some people might just think based on race and not even realize that sexuality needs to be part of that. And other people wouldn't have thought about if, um, if... Ability is is included. But, but, in- but doesn't all of this different stuff, uh, Willow, just boil down to people uh, being included? Like, and, and variants yeah. of whatever humanity included. So just the general notion of our humanness being really varied versus, you know, simplified. How do you have effective action while having room for variants? Well, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's just important to always be open to realizing that there's something that you can be doing better and to be dedicated to doing that better. So like anytime I organize something, I'm, I'm knowing that there's something that I'm not thinking of. Right. So I, I, I like like Andrew's making the point here. This can totally happen. You have this organized sensitivity and you can just get paralysis on stuff Mm -hmm. where it's a, a emotional processing 90% of the time and, and under any other kind of uh, movement, if you're lucky, 10%. Like what I'm wondering is when I think like Sarah about what's been so effective about web organizing or websites is how iterative they are. That it's like, okay, everything's a mistake, but, we'll, you know, who cares? Like that's the point. I put something out, we change it. Can we do that around these kinds of issues? Can't... Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I I need you to reword your question because I'm okay. Yeah, I, I, Sarah, do you think that around organizing people that include, say, issues around gender, mm-hmm. you could do it in as iterative a way as making a site around the yeah. software and tool elements, or because uh, people's yeah. feelings are sensitive enough that if you're so concerned about, I mean, that you know, effective tumbling involves dealing with 
know, I'm going to use Kevin's favorite word, phatic communication, non, you know, literal stuff, things that are kind of intuitive where you're reading each other. And we're usually big advocates of that on the show. But if you take that to take all your time, you can also not do anything else. I think the the key there and, and probably what Willow has experienced is setting your scope to something you can accomplish, knowing that it's going to leave a lot of things out because you can't do everything and accomplishing that and then broadening the scope with the power you gained by moving forward. Um, so, for example, with Gender Fork, we started it just just making a site about ambiguous gender and it became this big party that everybody wanted wanted in on and all of the other genders around that were feeling excluded and wanted to be included. And so we broadened to accommodate as we, as we accomplished what we set out to do. Uh, Willa, mm-hmm. would you say you did similar stuff? Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and just working with people, I, I don't want to say that I was like, I can only, well, of course not like, this is what I'm going to work on and I'm going to realize that I'm leaving people out. Stuff happens, but like, yeah, I, I had to like, I mean, not just me, but, you know, my advice to people has always been, like, anytime you organize something, just make sure that the next time that you are finding ways to broaden your scope there. And, I mean, if if I'm working with the same group to organize my events on a weekly basis and that group stays as the same group of people that came together the first time, of course there's going to be things that are going to get left out. We've got to, like actively find ways to expand our group into other ways of thinking. Do you set your sights really high and big and change the world in in massive ways? Or do you set your (laughs) goals small and achievable and then surprise yourself by doing more? Which Myers is saying in a pattern. The normal activist rules is such the impossible and then see if it kills you. Yeah, (laughs) I could say the same for certain startups. I think I'm pretty much the set my sights on impossible and, and yeah. Yeah. So, so in your, in your mind, you're a complete failure because you haven't, Uh, Oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Not at all, but um, no, I don't think I'm a failure in any But you way. did change the world. I mean, those protests were just an enormous, enormous. They were the story of profit. They're how everybody in the country knew that it wasn't all cool with everyone that this happened. Right. In California. Right. But at the same time, there was a long period of time there where I was really beating myself up over the things that I did not and could not find a way to do. So... Do you think that was productive? Not in any way. Nope. <laughs> nope. What would have been the productive happy medium where you're still being self-critical enough but not getting in your own way? Um, that's, that's something that I haven't really processed enough to get to to figure out how I could have thought differently yet. But um, I'm just sort of more like learning ways to be realistic and set boundaries with myself and not just with other people, which is, Yeah always a challenge so hmm right so um people so so um do you see and say what's happened with wikileaks this week i feel like we need there's a lot been happening with wikileaks this week so the, well, the the broad thing that fits in with um heather's opening remarks was um when she was talking about the napsterization of everything and wikileaks is, is the napsterization of of journalism or of journalistic sources, perhaps, in that they have generated a huge amount of data that they've collected and they've released that out on the web for people to make sense of. And the response from the the governments 
has been very like the response from the um, the record labels to Napster, which is sort of panic um, and attack by legal and extra-legal means. Willow and Heather were saying about finding the area of agreement and gradually growing that agreement over time. And you, you were saying it too, Sarah, where you, you, had, you made a, a set of people who could agree on something, then other people wanted to join in, and you had to grow the scope of what you agreed on to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that applies to the, you know, it, it maps through to the, the trying to define what we, what we call things on the web realm of standards, um, but also applies very much to the political organizing that, that Willow was saying, where you have to find common cause about something or you can't, you know, do anything. Um, but over time, you, need, you want to expand those causes to, 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 you know, broader realms so you can include more people. Um, and part of the issues around the web is that it's much easier to start a new set of people who agree on something and then try and grow that rather than um, have to sit with the existing political structures where they have the sort of big tent set of people who agree on a bunch of things that don't really make a lot of sense together. But that was you know, the history of, of who ended up being in that particular voting block. The piece that I just latched onto there is is that it's easier to, to to gather a new group of people on the web than to start with one that's already there. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Is that what well, you that said, or did I just read part, into that? <laughs> well, it's it, it's a bit of both. I mean, it's it's more that you don't have to start with a compromise. Uh-huh. You can start with us with a smaller um, set of things and then try and grow that and then connect it to the to the larger realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the, um, you, know, you know, the idea of the Overton window. I know this is this is it's now a book by Glenn Beck, which is rather distressing. But the underlying <laughs> idea is, um, is, the Overton is that window. that the, there is a, a window of acceptability um, within um, political debate, and ideas outside that window will not be entertained and cannot get anywhere by debating the things that are outside that, that window and extending that idea to the public realm, um, over time, what's deemed to be acceptable moves. So, you know, the idea of, of, of gay marriage would have been completely outside the, the pale anywhere in the U.S. in the, in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being gay was, was still illegal in, in the U.K. in the 60s. Um, in, and yet, o- over time, as, you know, people have been more open and public about it, the, the, the window of acceptability has moved. Um, and I think it's, it's very similar to um, Peter Singer's um, ethical discussion where you expand your uh, mental model of who, who, who is human and who you should be ethical with um, from your family to your group to your nation to eventually try and encompass the whole world. Do you feel like moving that Overton window is part of what rallies and that style of activism do? Willow, and do, what do you think is um, unique about the kinds of things you were doing and organizing online that were working in, in terms of really keeping an ongoing, engaged conversation going? Like you were saying, like, the, the rally isn't, like, the end of it. It's just going to link you into something. Right. Well, a part of what we did that we, like, realized really quickly that um, we couldn't just organize this one thing, right, that it couldn't just be, like, okay, there's that thing, all these people organized in their communities for the first time, and let's let them go be volunteers for some other organization now, which we did hope would happen, right? But, like, um, for the large part, it seemed like those people really wanted to keep working and didn't really know what to do. And then um, 
also that like there was sort of a momentum that we needed to to build off of and really really quickly um so we organized a few different events over the next few months um and luckily like we're not needed to be doing those sort of monthly events now because there are other groups that have sort of that have popped up like get equal that are doing national grassroots action um that are like linking the the local subgroups but like if you if you take any one of those cities where those people organized they were all connected for that day and they wanted to find ways to stay connected um so that was the work that i focused on was like finding ways to like keep those people engaged and excited and to build off of that and to also build their skill sets because you know i mean we were talking about people that weren't politically you know like they weren't poli sci majors they hadn't been following politics um they were just pissed off and and that's great and they wanted to get involved right but so uh just finding ways to to build on those skill sets and to help us all sort of develop into better organizers over those next few months um the really exciting thing is is that so many of those people have now gone on to to start their own projects and to keep organizing um and that they all have like a national voice in get equal and in some other groups now um, right right yeah like robin so magihi so what do you think are some of the things that work really well in terms of tumbling are they similar in terms of what's working for you online is what you see working offline um i i think what what works for me offline is like well really everything i do is online <laughs> almost entirely i mean even if i or i like find ways to connect them the two of them but like it's almost entirely done through email as far as like i make sure that i'm connecting people that are interested in the same things so like people that are that are interested in activism around employment non-discrimination like those those people i need to make sure that they're connected and people that are interested in bullying like that those people are connected or um people that are dealing with similar issues in their communities you know like like people that are trying to figure out how to be more trans inclusive um that i'm finding ways to connect them with people that that have done that kind of work and that they can work together and these are people that wouldn't have been able to have sort of build on that collective intelligence without having someone to connect them do you think that the larger existing groups that someone um Larry Bob uh, pointed out to me on twitter that uh, those groups are focused on money and rallies don't raise money that was his sort of response to why didn't think um, they were, they cared about that. Do you do you think it's possible for them to effectively organize and tumble online, or do you think the kind of thing you've been doing that other people are doing will will disrupt those groups and and they'll go by the wayside? Um, I, no, I don't. I don't think that the work that we've been doing will disrupt those groups. I don't. I mean, I certainly don't think it should. I think that the work that they're doing needs to continue. That like, I mean, we really we need lobbyists. We we need those people. Um, I think that there is a large group a large number of people that are that are putting money into the movement that are starting to realize that there are other places that they can be putting their money like that there isn't just one option for them um so 
that's exciting that there are like people with money starting to think about more grassroots activism, but like, I don't think that, that, that large orgs need to be focused on, on having rallies or how to do those things effectively because what they're doing is what they should be focused on. Um, are there ways that I think that different organizations can do that better or different? Absolutely. But that's, that's not what this conversation is about. <laughs> so what do you think when you look, I mean, Scott Jones is, is, is talking about Palin being created for in a way yeah. um, she and the tea party movement, you know, on the conservative side are, are the success or the social media success there. They're organizing in a different way. Do you see, what do you see about how they're organizing that you think, you know, you would want to learn from or is, you know, is working and what isn't working, you think, online? Because, for example, Palin's got a really weird mix of an online presence where she's much more uh, on Twitter and Facebook than most known politicians in any kind of way where you're getting actual new or what seems to be, you know, quote unquote, genuine information from from her. Yet there's no room for real conversation with her in any of those Except nobody else in her sphere is doing real conversation either. I mean, I personally feel like if any other major politician were to do that, she would be kind of upended pretty quickly. But none of them are even really using the web much at all. That was part of my what stunned me about the whole Prop 8 loss was they just ignored the net utterly, people trying to beat Prop 8. And that's why I don't, you know, you and Amy had such an impact because they didn't do anything. There was there was nothing there. And people needed something to do. Yeah. And they were online. Right. Yeah, and they are right. online. Sure. Right. right. Um, I, I think that that, that that is a lesson that, that can be learned about both what uh, the Tea Partiers and Sarah Palin are doing and what we did is that, like, people want someone that's doing something. People are going to go where the action is. They, they want to be involved, any person, no matter what it is that they're excited about. They want a way to be directly involved in it. Um, they want more than there are people that can only have the time and space to be an armchair activist, but there are a hell of a lot of people out there that that doesn't appeal to them and that want a way to be involved in this movement and that haven't for all of this time. And that's the thing that the Tea Partiers are doing. There's a constant way to be directly engaged. Um, I, I, I don't. I, other than that, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around what they're doing well because I don't want to think about what it would be like to have a base that isn't going to question my actions and that isn't going to, you know, call me out when I say stupid things. Um, we have kind of opposite extremes, right? Yeah. One is yeah. like, all, we major in calling you out on one right. side. <laughs> exactly. And the other side is like, you know, you're with us or we shoot you. <laughs> it's got to be, there's got to be some alternative to both of these options. <laughs> well, I mean, but my thing is like, call me out, you know, like I need it. That's, that's the only way that, that I, that's, I, I do very, very well with criticism. Some people don't, but like, I can't imagine having a base of people that are just going to do and support whatever it is that I'm going to say. I, I can't even wrap my mind around those people. How do you handle criticism that you know is right, but you don't have the resources to make changes to support? Oh, it's heartbreaking. Um, I mean, I usually like, I make sure that I listen. That's, that's the most important thing is that, you know, 
when there's criticism that's out there, even if it's not valid, that you're listening to whoever it is because they have something that's clearly important to, enough to them that they want to say it. Um, and people need to be listened to. And like, and then I go, you know, I mean, I, I would love to find a way to make whatever it is that, that, that is important to you happen. Is there a way that you can support me in making that happen? Can we talk about ways that that can happen? And so that it's a conversation between the two of us and not just me saying, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kevin, do you have any, anything you want to ask Willow? Um, well, so I think more something that, that you said before about this, this Heather, and maybe applies to Willow too, was how far you were trying to reach out to the people who'd been lobbying against the the, the act and and and, um, and the churches and so on. I remember you saying something about that before. Oh, oh, that I'd uh, in the, after Prop Eight had happened, that I tried yeah. to really engage with people who were who wanted Prop Eight. I did because yes. I'm like a major glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I got very involved in organizing also because I was it was clear to me when I'd gotten married and I wanted to stay married and at least I certainly didn't want my divorce to come from Ken Starr and <laughs> uh, Prop Eight was going to do that and I could see from based on the website the Prop Eight website that they just were like Internet what's that. <laughs> So I, I did some organizing and I got a group together with Tara Hunt and who's going to be on, I think, in a week, two weeks on the show. And a couple other people called um, Quality Camp where we tried to bring geeks and nonprofit people together. And I saw the cultural difference was like crazy insane between the geeks and the traditional activist nonprofit people. The people who were yep. really different from me uh, and some people came to Quality Camp who were uh, church people just showed up, like some pretty religious guys. And a pastor, they drove up from Half Moon Bay to San Francisco and spent a bunch of time with us. And I think I posted video of it uh, with David Hornick, the venture capitalist, trying to say to them, well, what am I supposed to say to my gay child? I forget how old he is. I mean, just kind of basically saying, you know, these people were trying to convince him and people really aren't gay. Because right. a lot of their their logic, if you want to call it, that is based on this is not true and it's sort of tough when that's you and you're standing in front of them going well how am I not me which I guess maybe Sarah is kind of what happened for you with the gender as a text box saying like you think this is not possible I am possible here I am what do you do with me mm -hmm. I yeah. mean it's a very powerful rebuttal well, I think that's be like, been the, the primary strategy for deconstructing homophobia is just getting people to build an emotional bond with someone who right. is gay. Right. Um, that is what, that's what works. Yeah. What, what didn't work right. for me with this guy on Twitter who was Mormon, I tried very much. I thought, oh, he's geek. I'm going to build on this. And he must be into science seeing that he works in technology. And we got to a certain point and then it was really clear to me that um, the thing you were saying, Willow, about the not questioning Mm -hmm. There's just a clear, I accept something my church says that right. it's not in the realm of rationality. Right. And beyond that, could not fathom that he was hurting someone else. And even when you're telling him this hurts me, couldn't believe it. Um, and then he started going into you know the Mormon church. I don't know if people know this. One of the things that Mormons do is they baptize the dead. By proxy. Oh. They're interested in making everyone in the world Mormon. That's part of the religion. Um, and so they get these lists. The Mormon church 
has a tremendous amount of pull in genealogy. They own major databases, genealogical databases. Right. And they were just by proxy baptizing Holocaust victims, Jewish Ooh. Holocaust victims. Yeah. And they're, Elie Wiesel had asked them to stop. Major Jewish organizations were like, this is offensive to us. I mean, these are people who are killed for being Jewish and you're trying to, in their memory, make them not Jewish. Um, and when this guy and I, who were having a pretty long conversation that went from Twitter to email, got to that, and he couldn't understand how painful that was, mm-hmm. you know, to me, right. and just how it was, like, beyond the pale. Right. I was like, there's, I don't know how we keep engaging. I really don't because you're basically saying, I don't feel the way I feel. It's tough because it is a tough thing because I think in his view of the world, he's helping people by doing this. So I I don't know. I mean, Kevin, that's a different kind of, um, I think in terms of organizing, you could do some outreach there, but if you get to that place, you're not, you have to find a place where there's mutual interest to have any other kind of organizational thing happen, I think. I don't know. Willow, if you how far you go out there. I mean, I I sort of relish people who are very different. I want the difference usually, but in terms of organizing, I I don't know. Well, organizing with or just finding ways to organize so that you can create a common ground, because that's possible. Um, I mean, you're not going to clearly organize together to defeat Prop 8 if you disagree about it, right? But, like, you Mm -hmm. can find a way to organize against homelessness. You can find a way to organize against hunger. Um, You know, like, there there are things that, no matter who the person is, that we can find to come together on. And that's... I think that's an important thing that people need to be engaging in in this fight. Yeah. So, um, any other anything anyone in the um, chat room wants to ask or wants to get into with Willow? I mean, things that you did that worked, I think, would be pretty interesting. And the response from major organizations once you did start having success. Um, things that we did that worked. Were well, you able to tell to t- to show them? Hey, do A, B, and C. <laughs> they they didn't they didn't uh, for the large part. Organizations didn't really want to hear it. Um, there, there was a lot of fear about who on earth are these people and what are they going to do with our base um, kind of stuff going on. Don't get me wrong. It certainly wasn't everybody, but um, we got a lot of that. And, uh, um, but there, I mean, there, there were organizations that were calling and saying like, Hey, can you tell us what you did? You know, can you, can we, can we talk about ways to, to do that effectively? And, and essentially like the biggest thing that, that I said to organizations over and over and over was make sure that your website is not just a website sitting there. Um, It needs to be more than information. It needs to be a way to directly engage people that are looking to be engaged online. Um, It needs to be a way to engage. What do you mean? Because I think a lot of those organizations think engages more on Facebook and this is true for lots of nonprofits and lots of organizations. But but you can you can put links to your Facebook on your website, and at the time, really, none of them were doing that. And I think a lot of people have figured that out at this point um, that they, at bare minimum, need to have a link to their Facebook <laughs> on their website. And it shocked me that 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 wasn't happening. Um, but like, I how mean, do you make the engagement happen? You know, how is your tumbling really happening? 
how how do organizations make their engagement happen? Yeah, how did you how did it work for you, and how would it work for them? Well, I mean, I think that like people need to not only be giving people an opportunity to donate money, but giving them an opportunity to volunteer, giving them an opportunity to give them feedback, asking them what they want to be engaged in, like that. That is what people want. They they don't just want to be told how they can be involved. They want to be asked. Uh, Myers wants to know what did what did you try that failed? Ugh. So many things, <laughs> so many things. Um, and even that is, is kind of subjective, but uh, we, we tried partnering with, with people and we really sort of figured out really quickly that like when you're partnering with people for something that's going to be getting the kind of attention that we're going to be getting it, you need to have your shit together and, uh, and everybody involved needs to have their shit together. <laughs> kind of like that group project you did in college and that if somebody <laughs> dropped the ball that you were the person that got stuck looking like an idiot. So um, there were a few things that we tried to organize with other people that uh, really, really, really made it look like they were idiots. Um, and I still get flagged for that stuff. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, um, uh, unfortunately, in some ways, we learned to be very guarded about where we put our information out before it actually was happening. Um, because? Because there is this tendency for for ideas to get... Um, stolen's the wrong word, um, but sort of used for other people's purposes um, without any sort of credit being given. Um, and it's, it's one thing if it's like something that's going to benefit the greater good, then absolutely. But like, if it's something where it's directly taking away from the work that I'm doing and that people around me are doing, that's, that's, that's no bueno. Um, so there was a lot of that. Um, well, not a lot, but enough. Um, I don't know. What else did we, did we fuck up? Um, um, I mean, sustainability is, is a huge thing. And clearly we, we didn't have that down in any way. Um, I, uh, I, I mean, when everything started, I was, I was, I, I did not sleep. There was no sleeping, sleep, sleep. <laughs> um, and I, I quit my job with just this enormous faith in the universe that like, because there were like funding offers happening all over the place and and you know all of these celebrities were paying attention to us they made a friggin like funnier die made a video that they put our name on that was huge that had like every, you know Neil Patrick Harris in it for crying out loud and this giant um and i just assumed that that money was going to just fall from the sky um and uh that didn't happen <laughs> And I am not a fundraiser. So, um, mm-hmm. so, but at the same time, like, I, I, I don't, I don't tend to think of that as a failure. I tend to think of that for me personally, as just like a, oh, maybe this is what you were supposed to be doing. Well, okay, fine. But for other people, if you want to do similar things, dear God, think about money. Unfortunately, it sucks, but make sure that you don't just think about it, but have ways to make it follow through. Um, 
Right. So, Sarah, have you? Um, what What is, do you think has has worked for you in these kinds of situations? Have you done politically related organizing? I know you've done a lot of gender organizing. Well, I actually wanted to chime in on that. I was. I haven't been involved in legal political organizing yeah. stuff. I've mostly steered clear of it. And I think part of that is that I get so depressed when I watch the news. Like I actually feel physically depressed. Um, I get overwhelmed by other people's emotional situations. And so I tend to focus my energy on things that can be constructive. And I usually don't feel like I have any power over DC. Um, the <laughs> one thing that did actually mobilize me for the Prop 8 stuff were the marches. I actually got out and marched. It was the only time I engaged in national politics was by marching. Um, and it was really powerful. I think, Willie, you were definitely onto something there. <laughs> um, oh, Andrew's asking a question. Should I? Should yeah, I go answer? ahead. So, and, Andrew, and what's the question? The question is, how did Willow manage the complicated racial angle to the Prop 8 vote? And I think you're talking Maybe first about... first you could yeah, explain the angle. I think you're talking about like in this like post prop eight passing mess. Um, there was uh, there were headlines that were blaming the black vote on prop eight passing, and uh, and then there were activists that jumped on the bandwagon and like um, you know also blamed the black vote on prop eight passing and and really like. I can you explain why 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 this all this happened? Well, there was there was one precinct that the that the votes were released for that had like a higher I don't remember what the percentages were seventy percent. Okay, so seventy percent of the black vote in that precinct. But it wasn't it wasn't spread around as though it was one precinct. It was spread around as though this was the overall right. Right. vote throughout right. the state. So there, but there was this one precinct that the the seventy percent of the African American vote voted um, against the gays, right? And uh, it's the same day that Barack Obama and the same vote in which Barack right. Obama was elected, right? And so, without really paying too much any attention at all to the fact that that was one precinct, without looking at the rest of the numbers, without waiting for the rest of the numbers to come in, the media went crazy with this headline, and it was. It was really, really devastating um, to a lot of people like to I mean, the people that I know that are in California that are African-American, that were out organizing their voters and that that had to listen to that afterwards. It, I mean, in our protests and what we organized, we were mm-hmm. organizing before those numbers were released. Right. So like that wasn't that wasn't something that we had to address in particular. And then also like it's, I mean, we were organizing so fast that there was no way that that could be addressed. Um, it was up to people in their own communities to figure out ways to engage their own base. And, and that was sort of what we did continually with finding ways to like work with our organizers, to encourage them to like, you know, find LGBT groups that were racially diverse to, that they could be engaging in their communities. But like post prop eight in that immediate aftermath, it was, it was ridiculous. And, and I think that for the large part, a lot of people were waiting to jump on that bandwagon, unfortunately. Kevin. Mm, sorry. Still there, Kevin Marks. So I was muted because someone next to me was making noise. Yeah, I just wanted to get your take on on the 
Well, let's kind of wrap up. I think we should probably start wrapping things up. And we've had a lot of uh, a fan demand for more Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> now that was uh, Kevin's that was being a dominant white were, male right now. I know that's exactly it. <laughs> um, this is because you lot have been cut off. I had to say something. Dead air. <laughs> well, you know, if you have nothing to say, if nothing to say, that's fine. Um, I'm, okay. I'm going to listen tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to listen tonight. It's, yes. It, it's dominated by queer women. It happens all the time on tech shows. <laughs> Kevin so is really often. failing at being a, a dominant white male right now. <laughs> disappointing all over the place. <laughs> yeah, my, my Overton window has been moved, clearly. <laughs> Give me some privilege here. Mm-hmm. Privilege. <laughs> Do you think that word ever shows up in conservative organizing? And do you guys think that the Tea Party, I'm seriously interested in them, is organizing in a more napsterized way like Join the Impact did? Do you think it's going to upend some of the other kinds of political organizing? It's privilege shows up in the Tea Party thing, very much so. It, it's the, you know, the university-educated liberals telling us what to do. It's, mm-hmm. Attack on privilege is a big part of what, of, of what their rallying cry is. It's their rallying cry, but they don't really. <laughs> it's not really what 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 they're what they end up doing, though, is it? Um, it's you know it's 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 a mixture. You know, it's it, the problem is it's as is it's another grassroots organization mm-hmm. um, with a bunch of people who don't really agree about much, except they don't like the government. You know, that that's their, <laughs> their unifying thing. They haven't got a big cause. They've mm-hmm. just got a we don't like things very much. Right. Well, I like it, them better when they were tea baggers. So that, yeah, that, that was they said until they, they were, learned what it meant. But they, were, <laughs> they were actually mailing tea bags to somebody when that was that that was a grassroots process. They were trying to send each of them would mail a tea bag to the, to the Congress, and then there'd be a big pile of tea bags. It was, a tea, it was like wait, wait, a, a grassroots to, tea party rebellion. You know, which that, goes that to your sense. right. Willow's point about giving people something, you know, to engage with other than writing a check, which is, which I think the number one rule for nonprofit and political organizing changing in a, in a network era. And I don't know how much they, that's understood as organizations. They, they seem to me to want to have standing armies seems to be the desire. Like I want to just have all these people. And when I tell them to do something, they'll do it. Well, I think Mm -hmm. that actually that's kind of how people think Twitter is now. They think that if they have a, a major following on Twitter, that they can have anything from all those people and that that's the goal. But now I mean, I'm getting I, into social I, media criticism. There, there's a new LGBT sort of startup called Friend Factor that I've met with that, um, that I was interested in potentially helping out with. And they seem to take a similar approach, although it is they're hoping to have a kind of social media uh, system that can you know link people around these issues, especially given that none of the main gay groups do that. But they definitely view, at least this point, this the idea of we're going to collect a standing army. And then when there's, you know, we have to have a political battle in this state or that state in this issue, people just go and do something. But, you know, you really kind of people, I think, still show up and tell them, here's the engagement. I mean, Willow, it was pretty much you and Amy. Did you have other people come in and tumble with you? Were you able to grow by having other people say, give people the thing to do? And but that, I mean, Obama's campaign worked that way. His governing didn't work that way. But his campaigning worked that way. So, so to what degree is hooking up with hot chicks the motivator for political organizing, <laughs> or people of differing uh, 
self-selecting <laughs> genders, identities, and it seems serious. I mean, that is not a big social motivator. And then are you just a yenta, basically, another Yiddish term for like a matchmaker to get people involved? I mean, hooking up certainly hasn't been a big motivator for me, but um, <laughs> sadly, which it seems like it should be. Um, but I do know a lot of people that have that have found love and or whatever it is that they're looking for through being tea involved. They've found tea bags. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to live up to our reputation in this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Willow, thank you so much for all your work. It sounds like you're you've kind of retired from from this uh, kind of work. It is tiring. It is tiring. It is tiring. I'm definitely on a break. I'm doing more like direct service activism now. Um, What's next for you? Uh, I, I'm I'm working with a. Well, I'm starting very soon to work with uh, as a case manager for an organization, for a health services organization, um, and working with people with HIV AIDS and uh, meeting their goals. So really excited about that. I'm really excited to be doing work that's more direct. Um, But I I, I, I love this stuff. So it's it's a a double-edged sword kind of, because I'm really, really good at the web stuff, and I love it. But. Do you think we'll have a response to Don't Ask, Don't Tell not getting repealed online? Yes. Do you think we'll have a, what do you think it'll be online? Oh, online? Or in general? I, um, there is already a lot of like response to it. Um, but I don't know how much... I don't know if there'll be like any kind of big new shiny that's going to come out of it. Um because I think that for the most part, a lot of people expected it, unfortunately. Um, and, and that for the most part, a lot of people are just tired. We're just tired, 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 tired. And how do you recover from being tired? Myers wants to know in my case, it's, um, you, you sleep, you have some good snacks, <laughs> meet a nice girl and you lie around for a while. I don't know what else you do. You do yoga. I, I don't Yoga. Know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and our reflectiveness maybe, helps. Yeah, maybe the tea party goes to Denny's. Maybe, maybe. step away from the computer. Oh yeah, the computer. Do you take Do you take breaks, Sarah? I have to get out of town at least once a month Ooh. for at least one night. That's exciting. It's something I I was on a schedule for a year where I was going to a conference almost every month, and so I got into the habit of leaving town. And after that phase ended, I just had to keep leaving town. It just stayed. So now I just go for a drive, end up somewhere, get a hotel room, come back the next day. That's awesome. And you do that purposefully? Yeah. Well, usually it's a it's a when I'm about to break something, I know that that's when it's time. (laughs) Oh yeah 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 yeah. All right, so uh, get out of town, turn off your computer. This is, <laughs> this is the result of organizing people politically, especially on the web. Well, I want to I wanna thank you for joining us and for all your work, Willow. Witty, if you want to follow Willow online, you can find her on Twitter at WonderWillow. <laughs> um, she is a protege of Cleve Jones and just an amazing, amazing uh, person and organizer. So I would stay in her orbit if you're interested in things that are going to change around 
LGBT and progressive politics because I really would be shocked that you had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, that's unlikely. <laughs> yeah, because you're a very natural Tumblr. You just know lots of people. You have the desire to go out and move people and connect with them. And um, I think it's a hard thing to shake, yeah. especially that feeling of no one else is doing anything. Something has to be done. Right. So thanks to you. Thanks, Sarah Dopp, for, for uh, sitting in. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You guys yeah, fun. it's been fun. Yeah. Is there any anything you guys want to let people, any any projects you want to pimp or give a shout out to, Willow? No. <laughs> I've got a shout out. I'm um, trying to organize a marketplace for gender variant people to sell clothing to each other. And I'm going to launch a Kickstarter campaign probably next week. And so right now what I'm doing is I'm collecting letters and videos of support um, for people who really want this to happen so we can fuel getting the word out um in case just maybe say a word it. or two about why this is needed for people why? Why? So if it's I, not your personal yeah. need explain the personal need for those who the don't personal need is that a lot of people really like to wear clothes during the day and um <laughs> <laughs> and most clothing is organized into two categories and in the men's section there are three colors you can choose from and three styles you can choose from and they assume your body is built a certain way and in the women's section there's an alternate set of expectations and understandings your body isn't built to fit one of those models and if your gender doesn't fit that and if your style doesn't fit that you find yourself complaining that clothes don't work for you and so what we're going to try to do is get everybody who complains about that into one corner of the internet and all of the people who want to try to solve that in the same corner and have them do it together. Um, it's going to be a combination of people selling things from their closets, people making things. What I really want to do is pull in costume makers, tailors, people who are gender savvy, um, who are willing to take custom measurements and make stuff happen to fit. And so that's that's the goal. And it'll be in a similar model to Etsy where people are selling to each other, except it's not just limited to handmade goods. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's my new baby. So what, for example, Sarah, is something you really would like to buy that you can't find? I would really love some men's shirts and a tux that fit my big hips and boobs. Hmm. That would be awesome. I also have big feet. Um, I think what we're going to do is use Zappos as our shoe place because they have good affiliate links, and we'll just collect reviews on what are good shoes for for trans feet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Great. Well, I will be uh, performing in New York City next week for the last time for a little while at a sideshow queer memoir i think the theme is family traditions i'll be reading with silas from by hooker by crook and sex sinclair sexsmith and who else cheryl berg cheryl b um and then i'm moving to canada next week you guys um i'm starting to uh have people request my workshop it teaches people how to tumble and how to give presentations that are conversational that sarah and kevin have both taken Fantastic! uh, It's really good. Thank you. It's uh, there's lots of great uh, endorsements and stuff of it. And I'm I'm hoping to once I get more workshops going to to put um, real coursework up online. So some of this can be can be done through video on the web. The same when Lullabot's doing Drupal training, that'll do some of the speaker training online uh, through video. So if you want to have this in your town, Mm -hmm. um, Berlin is requesting it. Someone in Berlin, you just put up a Facebook group or page. Like uh, if you search for and presenting Berlin on Facebook, just like 
you'll you'll see it. And just like Paul F. Tompkins, if 10 people in a city or 20 people in your city outside of North America want it, I'll come do it. So that's not that many people for you to get together. So if that's something you're looking for, that is the best way to do it. And I'll keep you guys up to date as that keeps developing. So that's those are the pitches for the week. We will be back next week with um, someone excellent. I think it's Tara Hunt, Miss Rogue, uh, creator of new shopping, social shopping network, Schwaup. And really early. Just really fun to say. <laughs> person and fellow queer activist, uh, which is something everyone doesn't know about her, so she enjoys people finding that out. So thank you very much. It's been a great episode. Thanks to producer Andrew for powering through all the technical issues, and we'll see you here again next week. Thanks, everybody. Like thank the people. You.